Amen. So uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, and it's in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 10, and hopefully it'll be on the screen as well. And I've just noticed if I move over here, you guys are going to be in the way. Do you like our little VIP section over here? Uh, So they paid extra to come along. Uh, So let's read Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be uh, the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. This is a a fascinating account, and it's so rich in learning for us this morning. To paint the picture at this time, uh, the Romans charged heavy taxes on all nations under their control. The Jews opposed this, but still had to pay. Now, tax collectors were the most unpopular people uh, in Israel. Today, I was thinking, what would they be comparable to today? And I was thinking, parking ticket attendants. I hope there's no parking ticket attendance here. And I think that came to mind as well because we got a parking ticket this week. So maybe it was fresh in my mind. Anyway, it'd be the equivalent of that. Maybe not, but just to paint a bit of a picture. Jews by birth that chose to work for Rome were considered by many as being traitors. And tax collectors were in the game to, to make as much money as they can at the expense of others. Unfair practices, unjust, and taking advantage at every turn to make more money. And Jesus was passing through a place called Jericho. And again, we see in that that little line a real real reminder that God's Word is so rich, even in those little couple of words. I was really struck uh, by the, the little couple of words just passing through. It's a reminder uh, that Jesus, He wasn't just stopping, He was just passing through. But that is no reason for Jesus not to meet people and to change lives. You know, I think of when uh, we were going down south last summer down to the Lake District, and it's quite a journey with two little kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and uh, we were just passing by, and we dropped into some friends in Edinburgh. And actually, that was a really precious time. I wonder how many times we reject or dismiss God's prompts because we're just passing through. What does God want to do in those moments, perhaps? How available are we in those moments? I want to look at the passage this morning and look at three points. The three points I've got this morning are something more, something in the way, and something changes. So uh, that's where I want to journey this morning. I'll get my safety clip out here. So firstly, something more. Does everybody know who Jim Carrey is, American actor? 
Some of my favorite movies are from Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, uh, The Truman Show. The Truman Show is in one of my top 10 movies of all time. Great movie. He is worth $150 million. He's worth $150 million. And uh, Jim Carrey says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, says this, money has never made man happy, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. And then we'll all know this person, famous American singer, Stacey Oracle, maybe not many people at all, but she sung a song called There's Got to Be More Than This. And I'm not going to sing it. I YouTubed it and then I realized I'm definitely not going to sing it. But the, one of the lyrics says, there's got to be more to life than chasing down every temporary high to satisfy me. You know, as a culture, more than ever, we are chasing the more. We're often guilty of it, whether that be with the car, the house, the phone, the iPhone, the holiday, we'll queue, we'll pre-order, we'll update, we'll upgrade, it will satisfy, it will meet that need for a very short time, for a very short euphoric time, and then the feeling fades, and we go for the next thing, that next fix, the next thing will fill a void or give us that feeling to escape, or meet a temporary, a need that will need met again and again and again. We see with Zacchaeus in verse 2, he was wealthy. Zacchaeus had it all. He didn't have any money worries. He could get what he wanted when he wanted. But what strikes me about this passage and what I want to throw out for us today as a church community is that he still wanted to see who Jesus was. He still wanted to see who Jesus was. And it got me thinking, why? Why? Why did he want to still see who Jesus was? And I have a couple of suggestions. I wonder whether he had a bit of a Jim Carrey moment. I wonder if he knew that his way of living wasn't the answer. We'll never know. Maybe he wanted to see who Jesus was. Here's a man who was untouchable in the world's eyes. Uh, financially, he was sorted. He could get anything he wanted. He was interested in Jesus. Perhaps he was searching for the more and actually thought, maybe Jesus could bring that. Maybe Jesus could have the answers to what I'm searching for. Perhaps Zacchaeus was looking for years, secretly disappointed when the next hit didn't quite, didn't quite fill that void. Or perhaps he just heard some stories and just wanted to have a bit of a nosy about who Jesus was. You see, Zacchaeus was sorted in the world's eyes, but he was needed to be saved. And in spite of his worldly standing, he still wanted to see who Jesus was. And in verse 4, we see he ran. In verse 5, we see after he climbed the tree, he came down from the tree immediately. And then in verse 6, he came down at once. There was almost a childlikeness to his behavior and seeing Jesus. I wonder if any of us have been chasing the answers in the wrong places. Maybe we've been looking for short-term fixes. And this morning is a bit of a realignment, a moment to run back into Jesus' arms. Or maybe we don't know Jesus this morning. Maybe we're here and we don't know Jesus and we want to know him. He's inviting us to run into his arms for the first time. 
we would love to, to pray with you and get alongside you if that's the case. Also, what this point teaches is that our city and our nation and our world, our streets, our workplaces, our culture are longing for answers, longing for something more, for approval, for love, for attention. And Jesus is the answer. Jesus is a relationship. A relationship with him satisfies. And you know what? People want to hear who he is. People want to hear who he is. When you, uh, I don't know if you do this, I do this now and again, but you almost frame conversations you have in your mind before you have them and you decide not to have them. Does anybody else do that? Yeah. So sometimes I'll be walking past Starbucks and I'll think, Mary, would Mary really like a double shot caramel cappuccino latte? Would she really like that? No, she had a coffee this morning. It's okay. And often that's because I'm too lazy to queue up. I see the queue and I think I'm not going to do that. But we often think if I speak to my colleague about Jesus... I'll be shunned and I'll be told to work on a desk in the Christian corner. I won't be invited to Friday night drinks at the local pub anymore. And everything will change. Everything will change. In verse 7, we read later that later people saw Jesus with Zacchaeus. And there was that moment where they were thinking, what's going on here? He's the last person that Jesus should speak to. I'm sure they would have replied for Zacchaeus. When maybe he, all he was wanting is longing for something more. Are we, are we longing for something more? Are we looking for short-term fixes instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus? And then secondly, something in the way. Uh, when I was at university, I, used to, I went to university at Stirling, and Stirling was really strategically placed in the Scottish map because it was about the same distance, and it still is the same distance, between Glasgow and Edinburgh. I noticed my little language change there. It's the same distance between Glasgow and Edinburgh. So I would go to loads and loads of concerts, and I had some of my best moments. Uh, I've seen some great bands, and I've also seen some terrible bands, which I'm not going to disclose to you. But I did meet, am I going to say? Yes, I'm going to say. I did meet the band Nickelback, I am playing, oh dear, oh dear, please come back next week, whoever made that noise. I did meet the band Nickelback, that was one of my first gigs, I went to the Barrowlands in Glasgow, and I was like 16 years old, and I was so excited, and got my ticket signed. But anyway, a good, uh, one thing that bodes particularly well for me at gigs is my height. It's my height. You know, I don't have any issues. Uh, three years ago, we were in Aviemore to see Mumford & Sons, who are one of my favorite bands. And it was incredible. It was two days, and we traveled from Inverness uh, to go and see Mumford & Sons. And we got to the front 10 rows or so of this gig. And I'm loving it. I'm jumping up and down, singing all the lyrics, not caring, just going for it. And Mary was with me. And I said to Mary at the end, that was just incredible, wasn't it? And just got a kind of blank face. And what Mary was just basically hiding. She was basically, it was just basically a cloud of darkness over with all these people and she was getting shoved over all over the place and I lost her at the end. It wasn't as good an experience. Mary wasn't as excited. It was pretty much a nightmare for her and she didn't enjoy it as much as I did. But you get, uh, maybe if you're Mary in that instance, you get glimpses, don't you? You get little moments where you go, I can see them, I can see them. I can still, I, I can see them. Oh no, they're away again, they're away again. I want you to hold that picture. 
You know, when you go to concerts and you're maybe a bit shorter and there's tall people, these are some of the issues. Let me tell you some of the issues. No matter what happens or where you end up standing, the tallest person at a concert will suddenly manifest right in front of you, blocking your view. And they'll probably be accompanied by four other tall friends because all the tall people are friends with each other and they travel in packs. Even if you find a good spot, that all changes when the band comes on stage and the surge happens. You know that your neck will end up hurting for the next week thanks to the strain that you're putting yourself through for a glimpse of the band. And you end up spending the majority of your time watching the show on the screen of someone else's camera. In verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But the crowd got in the way. I've never had that problem at gigs because I am that problem. But Zacchaeus does something about it. He climbs a tree. I love that. I love that. He climbs a tree. I want to see Jesus. I can't see him. So I'm going to do something about it. But also teaches us something very important. That crowds can block our view of Jesus. Whether that be busyness, stress, family, pressures, work, money. It's more than likely four or more tall people. Because the enemy often brings wolves in packs. And the enemy wants to see us not just stumble, but collapse. In John 10, verse 10, it speaks about the enemy wanting to destroy. And it can be exhausting, trying to get glimpses of Jesus through the crowd. And when we live our lives through Jesus, through other people's view, just like at the concert, through the, through the camera, and look away, we're looking away from him in those moments. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. He takes the crowd completely out of the equation. We are to live the same. We are to live the same through what Jesus did on the cross for us. Everything that gets in the way Jesus has dealt with, on, defeated on the cross, so that we can live in freedom. We are free this morning. I wonder what those giants are this morning for us. Maybe it's shame of sinful past and mistakes. Maybe it's comparison. Maybe it's addiction. You see, the enemy has his schemes, but Zacchaeus never let the crowds get in the way. The same way he took them out of sight. Jesus did the same on the cross for you and for me. They're not to come into view. If we believe and trust in Jesus, we are saved from sin and we are alive today. We are not who we think we are. We are who he says we are. And some of us this morning are to remind ourselves of who we are and what Jesus did on the cross for us, dying and rising again on the third day for love for each and every one of us, for you and for me. And then we have something changes. We have Jesus and Zacchaeus having a short chat after Jesus notices him. And Jesus invites himself round. Have you ever been in those situations where somebody invites themselves round? It's a wee bit cheeky from Jesus, I thought. I thought, oh, that's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? You're inviting yourself round. He might not have any food in the house. But he invites himself round. 
We read in verse 6, Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. You know, Jesus' love for the outcast is really evident when we unpacked the Samaritan woman last week, and it's just as equally evident here. Although Zacchaeus was rich, successful in, in financial terms and having stuff and wealth, he was despised. He was just as much an outcast as the Samaritan woman. And Jesus loved him. Jesus spoke to him. Jesus noticed him. Jesus went to his house. And something changed. And actually, this point shouldn't be something changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. Now, I've mentioned before, uh, earlier on this talk, that I went to Stirling University. And I, I made some amazing friendships in my four years at Stirling University. But as I, I, I felt God speak to me really particularly about this point, it was actually quite a, a scary time as I reflect back. I was a, a very different person when I was at university. I went to uni very shy, very quiet, quite intelligent boy. And being away from home, I remember the first night of university, all this carnage opened up to me. And people out partying and drinking. And I remember putting my head on the pillow at my first night of uni and I just sobbed. And I went, what is this? What is this? And I was scared and I was afraid. But then as weeks went on, as weeks went on, slowly that kind of softened. And I went out night after night. And the men on Friday night will know at the bowling social, I am a wee bit competitive and my competitiveness kind of came out. And that, at uni, that was my chance to step up. That was my chance to be known for the, the right reasons. I was no, it wasn't a good time until Thomas went out. And I would drink too much, I'd spend too much, and I'd lo lose myself in getting drunk and showing off. I was lost. I was a mess. I was insecure. I was self-conscious. I wasn't really sure who I was, what I wanted to do. And then my family moved to Inverness. My dad was a Baptist minister. He moved to Inverness. And uh, I met Mary. And everything changed. Everything changed. I followed her to Aberdeen. I did just follow her to Aberdeen. And slowly but surely, I went back to church. And I found real people with real issues being real with Jesus. And God melted away the strongholds and the words that I stuck to my heart. And I began to see changes. So much so that uh, when we were in Aberdeen, we, I, was part, I worked at a church called City Church, the church that we were sent from in Aberdeen. And one of my colleagues had a cousin who went to uni with me. And they had a chat because I said, oh, I know him. We somehow managed to find out this guy went to uni with me and was a friend uh, of a friend of mine, and we'd been out a lot at university. And I said to him, oh, say to, say to him that I'm asking for him. Say to him, I say hi. And uh, my work colleague says, okay, I'll do that. And then the next week I said, oh, did you say hello? And, say, and she said, yeah, I did. But I said to him what you were doing. And he just burst out laughing. I had to tell him like three or four times that you were a youth pastor in a local church, and that's what you were doing. He could not believe it. And I absolutely love that. I had a little smile at that moment. And I thank Jesus for showing me his love and for, for rescuing me so that I could love, showing me his heart. You know, for Zacchaeus, this is a miracle. 
There are no, way, no two ways of describing this encounter. It would have shook Jericho. A man who, in verse 8, it says, now gives half of his possessions to the poor. And not only that, he's paying back the people that he'd wronged four times over. So it's not only you can have back what I've taken, have it and more. God, Jesus had shaped his heart, had changed his heart. Everything had changed. Not just something, everything had changed in this man's life. I want to show a, a very short clip. Uh, which again just highlights God's power and just dramatic supernatural change. So let's watch this little video clip. It's part of an alpha uh, pro promotion and it's uh, one man's testimony of what God has done. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high-profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders and then I was just when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got to prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time basically, and I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God. I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. Nothing happened. But then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. 
I've been in a prison where I, because you would have thought that the prison where I stabbed the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first, that's how good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got um, four kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad. Have a life, a beautiful, um, and my life. And this probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. We should uh, just clap and thank God for that. So good. If you can do it for Shane, if you can do it for Zacchaeus, if you can do it for you and me, you can do it for a city. You know, Mary and I rejoice for all that God's done and is doing in this wee church in the big and the small, but there's more. Inverness is hurting. The highlands of Scotland are hurting. Inverness needs Jesus. This nation needs Jesus, and we are to go. We're to bring ourselves. We're to bring everything we've got, all of us, before Jesus and say, each Sunday when we gather in this little dance studio, to bow before him and say, here we are. Use us. We want stories. We want miracles. We want to see his kingdom come in Inverness as it is in heaven. And the great thing is he, gets to, he wants to use little old us in that mission. Why don't we stand?